Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's October 1st, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, and I am in New York City. And Haley Bird and Jim Swift are in Washington, D.C. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for having us. Okay, so I do want to talk about um, the new NAFTA, which is not called NAFTA anymore. Uh, NAFTA 2.0, whatever, the stock market, at least while we're talking, seems to be liking it. But but obviously we have to talk about the latest in in, in, in Brett Kavanaugh and the way in which this is one of those controversies that's it, it, it maybe typical of the Trumpian year. It seems to be escalating every single day. Just when you think you have the most dramatic hearings on Thursday, you have uh, the, the the drama on Friday with the FBI in investigation. So the question that we have right now, do either of you have any clarity on how much freedom, how much scope the White House has given the FBI, because I have to tell you, the messages seem awfully conflicting to me. I, I've already heard that you know the, the White House has kind of given some limits to it, and you add on that the uh, the limit that uh, Senator Flake agreed to, and Mitch McConnell that doesn't necessarily have to honor. I mean, they can schedule a vote any time. Um, you know, if he if he changes his mind, uh, I I know someone in the bureau, and I, I saw them over the weekend, and I said, yeah, you know, what what are you doing here? Shouldn't you be out uh, investigating this? And he's just like, oh yeah, I'm meeting with him tomorrow. I mean, jokingly, of course, but um, I, I I don't really get the point in all of this. Well, I mean, the point would be to either find the truth or pretend to be finding the truth. And and that's the big question is whether or not we're going through uh, just another version of the kabuki dance um, and end up exactly where we were at the end of the week, as opposed to whether or not we're really trying to decide which of the rather horrible um, alternatives are true. I mean, the horrible alternative that next Supreme Court justice will be on there for the next 50 years, might have committed this act, or that there has, in fact, uh, been this uh, this concerted character assassination and demonization of a completely innocent man. I mean, there, there's really no good scenario to any of this. So I want to, Haley Bird, I want to get your reaction to, to this, because there's a really interesting debate that, that I've gotten embroiled in somewhat over Twitter, which is a bad life choice, <laughs> clearly about the anger of Brett Kavanaugh and his performance on Thursday, which may have been enough to save his nomination, but there seems to be a really sharp, uh, almost Rorschach test reaction to it, whether or not it was justified by the circumstances or whether or not he just was way over the top. What, what was your take when you watched or heard about this? I, I will say that it's very rare in congressional hearings to have someone yelling at the members of Congress who are asking them yes. questions. And I understand if he's frustrated, but, you know, you had people saying, you know, his opening statement is this righteous indignation. But then he went on and sort of yelled at Rachel Mitchell, who was the Republicans prosecutor, and was very, like, curt and rude with her, as well as with the Democratic senators. So for me, just watching that, it was sort of baffling to see that approach, um, just in contrast to what Dr. Ford was doing in her testimony. I don't know what that says about, you know, who's being truthful or honest. Um, it, it was unique. I will say that. It, what was your take, Jim? Because I'm guessing you you have never seen a Senate hearing where you had somebody who was uh, in interrupting United States senators or asking them about whether they had a drinking problem or et cetera. But look, if the man is falsely accused, he has every right to be angry 
you know, and, you know, scrape off the ceiling mad, right? The, the only hearing I've seen other, the, I mean, it's usually the yelling is the other way. It would be like Jim Bunning yelling at someone <laughs> on the finance committee. I do remember there was this one guy, Harry Alford, the cha- head of the Black Chamber of Commerce, and he got into a shouting match about with Barbara Boxer about whether or not her line of questioning was racial. And that that's like an internet sensation. But I thought it was odd. And, you know, I don't know Brett Kavanaugh. I don't know him personally. Uh, never met him. I don't know what his personality is like. Maybe his uh, basketball team knows knows what he's like when he's angry and yelling if he doesn't yell. But, you know, there is, as you say, this sort of kabuki theater that has become the the modern Supreme Court nomination. And this was just off script. And I, I, I couldn't help in, in watching this thinking this is a really bad tack to take. And I, I think, Charlie, this is going to be another one of these. You know, you had a wonderful piece over the weekend, the new forward for your, your paperback version of your book about how it's kind of becoming Trump's party. I think this is another data point. And a lot of the people who mocked Trump and Trump supporters for the he fights were behind Kavanaugh and behind wanting to get him confirmed because he was fighting, you know? So I, I think the, maybe the never Trump or Trump skeptic coalition has probably lost some people on Kavanaugh. Not that there's an official position on Kavanaugh in, in the, in the never Trump mm-hmm. world. I think it's pretty, pretty divided actually. It's, it's very divided as you point out. I mean, it's one thing to go along with Trump or enable Trump or to acquiesce to, uh, to Trump. It's something else to become Trump, uh, you know, to, to embrace Trumpism. And also there is a different standard or there has been between what we are, find acceptable in the political world, which keeps shifting you know, all the time, um, and what's acceptable in the judicial world. So my take on this, and I, I, I talked to some people who actually know Brett Kavanaugh over the weekend, who say, look, you know, they, they respect him, they admire him. Um, he is, his judicial demeanor has always been um, w- without question, and he's a first-rate legal mind, but they were absolutely shocked by what happened on Thursday. Not because he was angry, and this is the distinction that I think a lot of people lose. Not because he was angry, because I get that, and you and I would be angry under the same circumstance. It's the way he expressed his anger. There are appropriate ways of expressing anger, and there are inappropriate ways of expressing anger, particularly if you want to be a a judge. And so it was not just that he expressed indignation or you know forcefully and emotionally asserted his 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 innocence. It was he went off on this partisan attack uh, where he and you know, I've said he went full Sean Hannity, which may or may not be be, be fair. You know, talking about uh, anger over the election of President Clinton, I mean President Trump, and the revenge of the Clintons, and th- this I think legitimately you know you have to step back and go, okay, you want him to fight. But are there appropriate ways of fighting and are there inappropriate ways of fighting? And what effect does this have, not just on the nomination process, because that will be over relatively soon, but over the institution of the Supreme Court for the next several decades? And I, I'm, I, there are a lot of people whose, whose opinions I am almost always totally in line with, including David French from, the, uh, from National Review. And he – he basically said this was, you know, righteous anger, and and, and he handled this appropriately. And I, I am working on a piece right now. I I just fundamentally disagree. I also disagree with Elliot Cohen, who wrote in the Atlantic that uh, we should expect judges to be, if, if I'm reading him correctly, you know, to be more, you know, stoic and everything. I don't have a problem with him being emotional, and I don't have a problem with him being angry. What I had a problem was, you know, basically, you know, pulling off that that robe of judicial temperament. And exposing this kind of raw, partisan, Trumpian anger 
which I think is going to undermine judicial conservatism for a very long time. Okay, so that's my my rant. You can push back on me. No, I I agree with you completely. And I I don't think this is going to be the last hearing we're going to see like this. I think it sets a very, very bad precedent Um, for those on the right who say, ah, the Democrats set the precedent by rolling this out. And, you know, some of them have gone to very conspiratorial angles to to uh, to slime Dr. Ford, who very clearly had something that happened to her, whether or not Brett Kavanaugh is the one who did it. You don't have to jump to like Alex Jones level conspiracies to, you know, to, to, to defend Brett Kavanaugh. It's a bad look. But I so fundamentally point one, I'm afraid this is our future. And we didn't have to have this precedent set. And I think that's what was so disappointing to me personally about Kavanaugh's performance. Secondly, if he gets confirmed, that I think puts a cloud over the judiciary, at least at, at the Supreme Court level. And, you know, I spoke with a senator on the Judiciary Committee, who will remain nameless, who, who told me if they he, he thinks that if the Democrats take over the Senate, they're just not going to confirm anyone. Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies, not going to confirm anyone. Um, you know. Oh, I think that's a good that's a good prediction. But no, we, 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 we had to make it clear, though, that the Democrats are not blameless here. They, no. they have behaved badly on so many different levels, in, including the the embrace of the Michael Avenatti um, allegations, which appear as of our speaking or recording this to be utterly baseless. I mean, you want to talk about the pornification of American politics and and what's happened that the Democrats somehow give credence to this celebrity, you know, porn lawyer who's, let's say, is 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 probably almost the mirror image of Trump when it comes to credibility yeah. at this point. So I, I I do understand the people who are furious at some of the allegations and the tactics used against Judge Kavanaugh. But but again, this is where you rise to the occasion. And I know this this almost seems this is, you know, I'm going to be accused of being a cuck for using words like, you know, using, you know, discretion or prudence or keeping your dignity intact, because apparently now we're expecting everybody to be a star in a reality TV show. So um, because I ha- we have to have limited amount of time here, Haley, I, w- I want you to give me some some take on what really came as a surprise early this morning when we found out that that, in fact, the Trump administration had cut a deal with with Canada. Um, and of course, the administration is uh, is spiking the football on this. They are portraying this as a as a huge victory. The stock market, uh, as we speak, seems to be agreeing. Most of the commentary seems to be that uh, you know it, you know whatever the details are, this is going to be a political plus for the Trump administration. And at least from the Canadian point of view, uh, you are able to keep the, the the North American trade pact intact. So give give me your your take on what happened, what didn't happen this morning. So one of the things I found sort of funny in getting all these press releases that were, you know, excited about this announcement that NAFTA was remaining intact was, you know, the Trump administration basically set the bar really low in the sense that they were either going to completely withdraw from NAFTA and displace millions of jobs and, you know, like complete supply lines uh, destroyed. Um, but they were also considering just doing a bilateral deal with Mexico. And as of Thursday, that's what Lighthizer was telling uh, senators on the on the finance committee in a meeting. So there, it really was a very quick turnabout on this. Uh, they were working through the night over the weekend to get this done. 
Um, so right now that there is sort of a victory lap going on, just the fact that NAFTA is going to remain a trilateral agreement instead of, you know, completely destroying this and going off on this bilateral tangent that the Trump administration had been proposing, which, you know, there were even questions of legality there under trade promotion authority. So um, a lot of members of Congress have put out sort of meek statements saying, you know, we're really glad that this includes Canada. We're going to go review the rest of it. Um, you have you've had a few Republicans like Pat Toomey released a statement specifically criticizing some parts of this deal, which uh, he mentioned these auto manufacturing requirements for Mexican um, companies basically imp- imposing, I think, about three or four times the minimum wage in Mexico for about 30 percent of auto manufacturing jobs down there. So things like that that will increase um, automobile prices in the United States. Republicans aren't really fond of. Uh, Democrats like Sherrod Brown have been pretty supportive in my conversations with him about this uh, deal and, and what they had introduced in the Mexico-U.S. deal. So a lot of a lot of those details remain the same. Um, the wins on Canada, they're very marginal compared to what we would have had under TPP. So I think it's about 0.34% increase from TPP in terms of the dairy market access that Trump got us. Uh, so that's, you know, under TPP, it would have been basically the same thing. Okay. And this is a really good point because, of course, as you probably know, I'm from Wisconsin and, you know, and back home, this is a big deal. Um, and of course, Republicans in Wisconsin are really, really touting this. Uh, but Haley, you're making a very interesting point. Uh, TPP did address that. Mm-hmm. And did I add an extra P there? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay, how many P's? It's a TPP. Two P's. Don't see. I I threw in a third a third P. (laughs) You know, see, this is too much caffeine, or too 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 little knowledge about the subject. But uh, so this is just a. From what you're reading, is that this is a this this huge breakthrough is just a marginal improvement over what we would have had under that previous agreement. A lot of it is just an updated NAFTA, which there were a lot of updates that needed to happen. You know, there's intellectual property changes that um, are going to be in place, other things. One of the things that, you know, I've focused on is Canada's de minimis threshold, which is the level at which um, imported goods are subject to taxes and extra processing. And they used to have a very, well, they still have it, a very low threshold. Ours is $800. So anything under that amount that you're buying Mm. online from a different country is not going to be subject to these extra taxes and duties. But in Canada, theirs is only 15 US dollars. So anything under 15, you won't have the taxes, but anything above 15, you are going to have those taxes. Or 800 Canadian dollars. I'm just sorry. Um, So, so they have agreed, according to I think Bloomberg reported this. I haven't read the entire text yet. uh, That they have agreed to raise from 15 to about 117 U.S. dollars, which is still really low compared to our 800. But it's a huge improvement over 15. So, if you wanted to buy like a TV from, you know, Best Buy U.S. or some, you know, the big screen store or something, in this case, it still wouldn't even be. counted under that. Yeah. Hmm. And, and a okay. lot of a yeah. lot of digital retailers in the United States have been pushing for that. So I don't think that had changed under TPP. So that's one thing that I've been surprised the, the administration hasn't really been uh, touting more, um, that they got them to increase that. Well, now the entire focus of this shifts to what Congress is going to do 
uh, and you're the congressional reporter, Haley. So give me your prognostication. Uh, will a Democratic Congress, uh, will there be enough support to to approve this? What What is it going to what, what are the politics going to look like? So a lot of the labor changes and regulations in this new NAFTA, Democrats sort of can find themselves in agreement with. Um, you know, this was negotiated between a sort of left-leaning Canadian government and a labor government down in Mexico with the Trump administration, which often finds itself in agreement with people like Sherrod Brown. Uh, so the, it, it is favorable to unions in a way that the pre, the first NAFTA 24 years ago, um, most unions did not support. So that, that's one thing I would watch. So it's really a, a calculus uh, between House Democrats right now that's like, do we want to give Trump a win or do we want to mm-hmm. pass this trade agreement that some aspects of it we actually probably would agree with? Yeah, I mean that, and, and of course uh, we're we're not going to know what the what the political environment is, you know, until after the midterm elections. When do you expect this will come up for a vote, though? Definitely not until after the midterms. Yeah, not I, until twenty nineteen, uh, because you know the Trump administration and negotiators from Canada and Mexico kept missing their deadlines for TPP. I mean, uh, excuse me, for Trade Promotion Authority. Um, so this most recent deadline was the one that they could sign it before the Mexican president leaves office on December 1st, which yeah, they're going to do. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I, I want to well call attention to the fact, and Jim, thanks for the shout out. Uh, I do my, my paperback edition of my book, How the Right Lost Its Mind, is coming out tomorrow, believe it or not. But but the the new updated preface is excerpted in this week's Weekly Standard. Um, but, but the really the must-read piece, I think, in the Weekly Standard is the piece by... <laughs> by Andy Ferguson um, on the Trump era books. And all I can say is, thank God he didn't include my book <laughs> because it is a hell of a read. And it's, it's, it is absolutely hilarious. He takes everything from uh, Judge Jeanine Pirro, who of course is a leading uh, Trump sycophant, uh, to Rick Wilson, who is, uh, I would say, a leading uh, Trump critic. Uh, but uh, like Rick Wilson, uh, it's, it's, it, it is, let's just say that it, it's book review with a laser beam. Yeah, a great read. It, it is an absolute gravy. Uh, thank you both for joining me. I appreciate it very much. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow, and we will do this all over again.